This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R. We work out our bodies. Let's work out our minds. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month. You're like, what is BetterHelp? Why would I go there? Because it's it's online therapy, baby. That's right. You don't have to sit in traffic. Uh, It's cheaper. It's international. So wherever you are in the world, your therapist can go with you. And you don't even have to sit in an office. The best thing is you can do this from your phone. Uh, You can text. You can call. Within 48 hours, they're going to match you up with your own therapist. Some people have their own chef, their own personal trainer. You get your own therapist. How cool is that? And here's the best part. If you don't like the therapist, you can just find yourself another one. You know, They will match you up with another therapist. Because I have friends who are looking for therapist right now and they're saying how hard it is to find one everybody everybody got a therapist now it seems like nowadays so get one and and if you're one of those people who are like well my life is good everything's good i don't need a therapist that's why now is the time to get one because when life hits the fan and and inevitably it does right uh that's not the time to look for a therapist because it takes time to build rapport to connect for them to know your backstory, for you to feel comfortable. So get a therapist now, somebody that you can talk to, build a relationship with, and then you can take a break. But then you have, you know, you got that therapist in your pocket when things do hit the fan, when life does punch you in the face. And then you got that, now it's not even a therapist you're calling, it's a friend, but it's a friend who's gonna, who's gonna like make you feel safe and secure and hold all your secrets and, and show you how to grow and get unstuck. It's, it's the best friend in the world, right there in your pocket, on your cell phone. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month now. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is comedian extraordinaire, Alex Hooper. Alex Hooper and I have known each other for about 10 years. And every time I, I meet with this guy, it's so empowering and so uplifting. And little did I know the, the, the amount of rage and pain that he was undergoing as a result of his childhood struggle with eczema. Eczema was so painful. So you're going to hear his journey from rage to joy, right? Of his rage and dealing with the hurt and feeling like a monster as a teenager and then also uh, dealing with trauma vampires in the world. And so he goes from rage to finding joy, joy in slacklining of all things, highlining, which I didn't even know. Uh, He was featured on America's Got Talent, three episodes of America's Got Talent. His clips have gotten millions of views. And then he was on Ellen uh, for his Pug Yoga Calendar. He also has learned to meditate, play tennis, uh, rollerblading, and, and and enjoying music festivals. So this is such an empowering episode of hearing that journey from rage to joy. And I'm sure you're going to get so much out of this. And also, he discusses his, um, and I don't want to say discuss, but it is mentioned his uh, multiple suicide attempts from high school. So there's so much packed into this one episode. And I hope that you, the listeners, if you find value in this, to share the episode with a friend or multiple friends is beautiful to see it grow. At some point, I would love 
to create like a before you kill yourself uh, conference, like a yearly conference where we can all get together and uh, and share our stories of courage, strength, and hope, and also bring in speakers and, and therapists and, and other people and, and really blow this thing up. I'm so excited. And I do have a few things in the Pipeworks, so I'm excited for that. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for rating it five stars. Thank you for sharing it. Let's jump into the episode. Alex, I'm so excited to have you on a podcast. And I love to start off each podcast with this question. What got you out of bed this morning? <laughs> Mainly having to do this podcast with you. Uh, it was on my schedule. Uh, otherwise, would I have kept sleeping a little bit longer? Maybe. Um, but, you know, lately, I've been waking up early and doing a midday nap, and that has been working for me. When you say working for you, in what way? Because so many people are afraid to take a nap. Well, I guess I, um, I'm not, so I don't really work during the day. Like sometimes I have writing assignments and things like that, but most of my employment comes from doing comedy and being on the road. So when I am home, most of my day is like, oh, I'll go, I'll read a book. I'll go slacklining. I'll play tennis. And so I'll wake up and I'll do things that make me feel good. But then I also, I don't like sleeping till like even really past 10, I don't like anymore. I just, I can't, I can't find my day. So if I wake up at like eight 30 or nine, and then I do things for a few hours and then let's say three o'clock comes and I want to sleep for 45 minutes, that tends to work for me. And then I can bounce back to go do shows at night. Tell me more about that. I can't find my day. Cause I feel like I had that yesterday. Tell me more about that and what that feels like for you. Well, the more, you know, it's easy to give in to not wanting to do anything. And the later you let yourself sleep, the more you're like, oh, man, it's already noon. <sighs> well, I guess the day is pretty much half over already. I don't really feel like, you know, really trying to do like solid work that would get me through the next few hours or anything. And so then my brain already is in this mode of I don't feel like it. And if I start my day that way, then I'm basically doomed and I'm not going to be able to figure out how to be productive or even just have a day where I'm not sitting around going, what do I do with myself? Because that's the hardest part about being a comedian is that that is what do you do all day? There is there are things to do. You can email, you can write, you can try to set up bookings, you can, you know, be filming auditions, everyone's things like that. But that will only take up a couple hours at best. And if you're not actively working on something else, there's just a lot of time when you're twiddling your thumbs and just going, huh, um, okay, should I be doing something? I should, right? And then your brain, my brain anyway, starts spiraling into you're not being productive enough. Other people are lapping you. What are you doing? Why is this taking so long? And that's just, once it gets there, it's hard to pull myself back out. That, that voice of you're not being productive enough, other people are lapping you. Is that your voice or is that a voice that you've heard from someone else? Like oh, it's my voice. It's 100% my voice. I mean, it doesn't sound, it's giving me this like evil, like, if everyone's doing better than you, Alex, why are you just sitting on the ground? Why are you masturbating for the fourth time today? Is it because you're bored or because you're scared or because you're lazy or are those all the same thing? And I'm like, oh. Okay, Goblin, I hear you. Uh, um, yeah, it's my voice. 
So how do you talk to the goblin? Because we all have goblins, like uh, whether it's for uh, sugar addiction, drug addiction, food. You talked about masturbating. Like, how do you uh, reconcile with your goblin? Is there is there a back and forth, or do you let the? It sounds like you. It's a, for you. It's about getting ahead of the goblin. Yeah, I do try to like, I, I do, I have very good like practices for myself, like meditations and uh, slacklining really gets me out of it. Doing activities really pull me out of it. I, I, I'm in idle hands, like devil are the devil's playthings kind of guy. Like I have to be doing stuff. Otherwise, I really, I, I, I really, I base too much of my worth on my productivity and it is something that my wife and I talk about a lot is that my value is not based on my output but I feel like if I'm not constantly producing then what am I doing and should I be doing more which honestly is never it can be a good way to think because it can motivate you but a lot of times it does the exact opposite and it sends me the other direction and I go like oh man I don't like do I even want to do that work right now or should I just really give in to the goblin and just you know put on tv at 4 p.m and just lay on the couch and I really try to do my best to like my uh, let me just say this so every day I try to do five positive things for myself and that a minimum of five and they can be any they can be I I wrote three pages already this morning great that's one I'm doing this podcast that's two I'll probably go out and exercise later that's three maybe I'll go out and do a show that's four and I'll read a book or meditate five six whatever but I have to make sure that I click off at least five positive things. And that can be as simple as, oh, I called a friend that I haven't spoken to in a long time and reconnected. Or I finally started listening to a podcast that's going to benefit me financially because it's teaching me about how to be better with money. Like things like that are what am I doing for myself to offset any negative, not not necessarily negative, but just non- things that aren't really pushing my career or my life forward. Is that a way that you've always been wired to, to feel that you had to be productive or is that a, a message that you feel like you received early on in your childhood? Where did this push to become productive? You think? I think, I think, I think it was just comedy. Like, I don't think I had this push because I was so uninspired for so long throughout high school. I was extremely depressed and very angry and I didn't know how to control my rage or my emotions. And I, as you know, I'm a person with a lot of energy. And when you don't have a place to put that energy, it comes out in disastrous ways often. And so I would lash out and I would be angry at myself and other people. And when I found comedy, it was like, oh, here's a place to put all my energy. Here's a place that this is really feels good. And I'm doing it in a very positive and healthy way. And when I'm not doing that for myself, when I am just sitting around and I go, man, that guy's on his third episode of the day. He's releasing clips. He's going out and doing spots. He's on a TV show. And I see that. Then I start comparing myself, which was, we all know, comparison is the thief of joy. It's the worst thing you can do. Then I go, then what am I doing? And then I get like into this, that wormhole of you're not good enough. You're not doing enough. You're, you know, you can give all the positive affirmations you want. And I do every single day I'm writing and telling myself positive affirmations, but at a certain point it becomes difficult to even believe 
your own words. And it just, it kind of goes day to day. You know, there are days when I wake up and I jump out of bed singing like I'm in a musical and I'm ready to attack the world with happiness and vivacious energy. And I just want to be a sprinkle on top of your cupcake and make your day sweeter. And there's other days when I'm like, fuck everything and everyone. And why do I have to go through this existence? You know, it's... That's that. It's that flip flop. It's that paradoxical nature of everything. Talk to me about your your childhood. Where are you from originally? And and, and when you think about your childhood, what sound and smell reminds you of your childhood? Ooh, okay. I love that question. First of all, I grew up in Baltimore, um, so you know, pretty pretty you know, middle middle class suburban kid um but my childhood i'll tell you the the smell that i associate it with and i still probably would is i grew up with and still battle today one of the fiercest case of eczema on the planet and i was constantly lathered in ointments and creams and all kinds of other things and that smell is still very much with me um just because i was always covered in greasy ointments and um you know my skin hurt a lot uh which was where a lot of the sources of my anger and depression came from is i was just when you're a kid and you have an autoimmune disease that is showing outwardly especially you feel like a monster. People stare at you like your skin is, my skin was broken. I would literally be oozing pus from my face, sticking to my pillow. Like I wake up in the morning, I have to peel myself off of my own sheets. I mean, horrible pain and discomfort. And here, you know, as a kid, you don't understand why you were afflicted with this. You don't understand. You feel like you were just chosen to just live a shitty life. Um, I'm still trying to come up with a sound that I, uh, that I can associate with my childhood because there were like, you know, I played a lot of sports. And so there was a lot of like, I I've always loved the sound of a swish. You know, there's something about that where you just know, I used to shoot a lot of threes just in my, in my yard. And when I, and the sound of a swish is so good, you know? And I'd like, I like that. I chose one again, paradoxical. One sound made me happy. The other smell made me like, no, not this stuff again. But, you know, you grow up thinking you're never going to find love. You're never going to find happiness. How are you going to even have a, like, how are you going to find anything that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning when everything in your life just feels cracked and broken? And it's not just metaphorical, it's actual. Like, my skin was broken and still, you know, I hate to talk about it that way because I try to give reverence and be like, no, my skin is beautiful and it's mine and no one else has it. But in reality, it fucking sucks. <laughs> it's it's not working the way it's supposed to. And I'm sorry to talk about you that way, skin, but you know what you've done. <laughs> you know, my father actually struggled with that now that you bring it up. And so it does my nephew. Uh, so it skipped me and then it went down to my nephew and he struggles with that. For the listeners out there who aren't too familiar with eczema, can you talk to us about the, the different symptoms and or uh and and then like the experience of it i know you talked about the pain of peeling your your face off of a pillow in the morning but i think there are a lot of people who still don't and like how it shows up differently for different people 
Yeah. So, I mean, so most people, eczema is known as atopic dermatitis. It's basically an autoimmune disorder where your skin overcompensates for any little thing that goes wrong. So the best way I can compare it is imagine if one terrorist entered the United States and the United States' answer was, we better send the entire army and military after that one guy. People are like, wait, that's too much. It's going to be overloaded and you're, you're going to do more damage than anything. Well, that's what my skin does. Anytime it feels an intruder come in, it sends every force that it has and my skin overreacts to the message. And so a lot of people, for most people that have eczema, they get it a little bit on their elbows, their knees, their joints, you know, it's usually not maybe their hands or their feet, their extremities, but it's usually not all over. Since I was born, I've had it everywhere. And so as a kid, my it was extremely painful. I was in and out of the hospital a lot. Um, I would have to do week-long stays in the hospital just so they would be able to monitor me and give me treatments three to four times a day um, because I literally couldn't function. Everything was hurt so bad. So basically just imagine, imagine if you're like you, your skin, all over hundreds of different spots all over your skin are just open. And so there's wounds. And so not only is it painful to move, but like it gets stuck to things and gnats are always like picking at you. And because, and it's itchy, it's so, you just want to scratch nonstop. And which all it does is exacerbate the situation. And so you can't tell a nine-year-old kid, hey, stop scratching, that's bad for your skin. Because, you know, it's like telling me to not breathe air. It's a, it's a necessity for me to do this thing. And luckily, like, you know, over the years, um, there have been huge advancements in medications and things like that that do make it better. But it is still something that I have to deal with every day of my life. And, um, you know, there's days when I really feel it. And I know it, I know I can, people can see it, but no one sees it as bad as I do because I feel it like I assume people see it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so many times people are like, oh, I wouldn't even have known that. I'm like, you don't see this giant scab on my forehead? Like, what did you think that was? People are like, I thought you got punched in the face. I don't know. You know, and I'm just like, oh, okay. That's uh, much better. You weren't going to ask me if I got punched in the face? You were just going to let that slide? Okay. Um, so... It really like I it's more I know it's much more of a feeling than anyone else can see it. But I definitely, you know, when I feel it, it's very difficult for me to get to a place where I feel joy. Um, and that's been, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself, especially in the past 10 years. Um, but this is still you know, I consider it my Achilles heel. It's the, you know, this, uh, it, it will, it's always there in some capacity trying to pull me back down, no matter how high I feel I can ascend. Is there anything, uh, dietarily that you have to do to manage it or are there, are there things that can exacerbate it? Any type of food, sure. drugs? Um, I've tried everything. So basically because every, I went on every diet as a kid and every trying all these solutions, you go organic, you go non-dairy, you take out partially hydrogenated soybean oil, you take out gluten. And what happens for me typically is I will do these things. And for the first 
few weeks, I'm floating on air. And I'm like, wow, this was the answer. I've never felt this way before. But what ends up happening then is I think my skin is very intelligent and it goes, oh, I see what you're doing. You found the loophole through a back door that we didn't realize was open. Well, now we're going to crush that back door and board it up so hard that you'll never get through there again. And suddenly I've had one of my worst outbreaks I've had in my adult life happened probably about seven years ago or so. And I went to my dermatologist and because I had been on this gluten and dairy free for about a month and suddenly my skin just completely shut down and fell apart. And I had to go to my dermatologist and I walked in there and she went, you are so beyond my help. You need to go to an emergency room immediately. Like you are not treatable by anything I can do. This is not a give you a medication and send you out the door. Like you need to go to an ER. And I, you know, I try different diets. I try to eat, you know, for the most part healthy um, and in a way that doesn't blow it up. But certain things always will. Drinking, um, which you know, I do. I, 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 it's sparingly, but I do. I do it. So there's nights, and if I, I know if I, if I get wasted, I'm gonna wake up the next day, and my, two days later, my skin is going to hurt. Same with a lot of other drugs and things like that. You know, there's a trade-off. I go, is it worth it in the moment to feel this way a little bit later? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. But it's, it's one of those things where. You know, your whole life, your doctors as a kid go, don't worry, you're going to grow out of this, man. You're going to grow out of this. Don't worry about it. Nobody has, like, people don't last eczema until they're adults. And then you turn 18, you go, hey, so when am I growing out of this? The doctor goes, oh, right. Uh, I've been telling you that for your whole life, huh? Turns out I'm a liar um, and you are never getting rid of it. So uh, good luck out there, scabby boy. (laughs) How painful. Wow. Yeah, it sucks, dude. It's that's the thing is you and there's a there's a hope, right? With everything in your with everything I think we do in our lives, there's this hope on the uh, that's that's not good or it's painful or difficult, uh strenuous. We hope that there's something better on the other side. And is my skin better? Is my life better? 100 percent Does it still bother me every day? Yeah, it does. So you are know. there are there special pillows or clothing or certain textures that you you use because you talked about peeling yourself off sometimes? No, because it's not that bad. Like, luckily, I'm not at that place anymore where I where literally my skin is like you know completely broken down. In those places, I mean, you would it, like. I mean, the best the best comparison I can give it is like as a kid. This is graphic, but I looked like a hot dog that was run over by a car. Like my skin was just like, imagine just putting something, a person through a meat grinder, and then they assembled them on the other side to what they think a person looks like. That's what I looked like. And that, and it's just so, it's so hard to not touch yourself or to scratch or to anything because you're constantly, it just feels like there's a, a fly on you, like landing on you every two seconds. And it's just brutally uncomfortable. And it's not, I don't say this for any sympathy or anything like that, because everybody has a thing that they have to deal with. This just happens to be mine. And I'm lucky that it's gotten better but it's still always there. You know, man, when I have like, let's say I have a commercial audition and my skin is not having a good day and I watch my tape and I can see 
so much like eczema, like so much. Like, and I'm like, how am I ever going to get this part in a Dairy Queen commercial as the guy dispensing a milkshake when it looks like I put myself in the oven for the last two days? Like, it's just, you know, and then, then I start beating myself up over like, God, how am I supposed to be successful in this when I have this problem? And if this would just go away and that's when you start catastrophizing, like everything that's happening and you start going to worst case scenario and wondering like, what am I doing? (laughs) I literally had a dermatologist one time go, how are you an actor with your skin? And I was like, I don't know. How are you a doctor when you make people feel like shit? What the fuck? Like, how are you going to ask me that question? (laughs) Was that was that from a place of genuine concern or was that like, I don't know what that question was, but it didn't make me feel good, doctor. Here's your hundred dollars. Can I leave now? You talked about the rage you experienced in high school. How did you manage that as a teenager? I mean, there's I mean, because not only are you dealing with eczema, you're dealing with hormones, you're dealing with so many just other natural body changes. Uh, How did you handle the rage? What were your outlets at that point? Not, I mean, the things that made me feel good were sports, um, rollerblading. I loved, I I loved, I was a a big rollerblader, like basically like when aggressive skating was really big, you know, um, like, and I would go out and I would huck myself down flights of stairs and things like that and just try to do things that made myself feel good because otherwise I mean I was I was a horrible person to be around my whole mentality was oh the world wants me to be miserable well then everyone in Alex's circle is going to be miserable I don't care if I'm just buying a thing of french fries from you at the chicken shack down the street or if you're my own mother I'm going to make your day a living hell because this is how I have to live so now this is how you have to live So one thing that you, I mean, you, that you obviously have known me for, you know, probably a good 10 years now or so that we've been seeing each other doing a lot of shows and things like that. You, most people know me as this very happy, positive, optimistic person. And it's because I had to go that route because the other side of me spent so many years pessimistic and unhappy and self-destructive that I now feel like to get to I have to atone for the person that I was. And it's nothing, it's not, it's nothing really about, it's not about religion. It's not about like spirituality, even really. It's just about my own feelings as a person to say, I know I made people feel like shit. So how can I now uplift them and do the exact opposite and have them really walk away from any situation with me feeling a little bit lighter than they did when they came in? So that's an active choice, a conscious decision that I make every time I'm with another person is make them feel better, have them walk away from this a little happier than when they entered the situation. And we're just because I spent so many years doing the exact opposite. Does that feel exhausting for you sometimes? Fuck yeah, dude. I don't protect myself sometimes. I I don't like, um, this is something that I've talked a lot about with uh, my wife and other close friends is that I give up my own boundaries to make others feel good. And I will go out of my way to sometimes to help another person or to give, even when I'm not an emotional state to do it 
you know, why am I answering this random Instagram message from a fan who's telling me that their grandfather is dying and they're not sure how to handle it when I'm not myself having a good day? Why do I feel the need to go out of my way to put my own emotions and health on the line for other people? And I've gotten better about it. Like I have gotten better about like, hey, I can't right now. Like I was in, this is a perfect example. Last night I was at the comedy store and I'm, I I can't, I don't really want to like, I can't get too much into it, but I'm kind of going through a uh, health thing right now. And I was talking to a couple friends and some guy just walked up and was like, Hey, can I bum a cigarette? And I was like, I don't smoke. Somebody else that was standing there gave him one. And he goes kind of standing there and goes, so where are you guys from? And I literally looked at him and I went, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. Have a wonderful evening and have the best time at whatever show you're seeing. And I just walked away. Whereas previous me would have gone, okay, let's let this energy vampire suck whatever he can out of me. And I will be miserable that I let him do it. And I felt a little rude, but at the same time, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I, I, I had to do it for myself. I couldn't, I couldn't have that conversation right now. And and I applaud you for that, for setting that boundary and being aware of your energy, because like you said, at some point when you give your energy to somebody else like that, you're going to build up resentment and then you're going to be either become destructive to yourself or destructive to someone else. Yeah. And I have a whole bit right now that I'm doing about this because somebody else pointed it out to me uh, a little over a year ago. They were telling one of my friends, a comedian, we were at a music festival together, like performing. And he said, Alex, I don't know what it is, but people just want to tell you their life story. Like random people will just walk up to you and just start telling you the worst things in their life. And I was like, I don't think that's true. And then I realized as soon as he said it, how often it happens. And he's right. And my whole thing is that like with these, I call, you know, they're trauma vampires and they seek me out. And there's something about my energy that says like, okay, unload, this guy can handle it. He's an empath, whatever it may be. And I do give them that energy because I feel like I have enough. But sometimes I, what I've realized in the past few months is I don't have enough and I'm giving it to you for fear of maybe that you won't like me or I don't know what it is, but that I'm not taking care of myself and I'm giving it away to other people for no reason at all. But this happens to me constantly. Like literally, like I was in Tampa two weeks ago, um, performing at a club and I'm about to get on stage. So I run to the bartender and it's at, outside the room. And I say, Hey, can I get a club soda? And she goes, yeah. And I realized it was very slow. And I was like, easy night for you. I guess she goes, yeah, but it's for the best. You know, I just lost my dad. And I was like, Oh, uh, she goes, yeah. I mean, the cancer was just everywhere. And all I'm thinking in my head is I'm going on stage in five minutes to do an hour of stand up comedy. And for some reason, and you know that bartender, you work here, you know very well that I'm about to get a drink and just get on stage. And yet now you are telling me about your dead father and I'm, and I'm giving her, I gave her two minutes. That's what I told myself. I went, Alex, you give her two minutes and then you walk away from this conversation because you got a fucking job to do, man. And that's what it is. People seem, and I don't, I don't know what it is. But something about my energy just says I'm safe and and go ahead. Whatever you got, I'll take your trauma away from you, dude. <laughs> you know, I used to think that was a compliment for people to uh, share their experiences with me. 
And now as I'm getting older, I'm realizing what an energy drain that is. And, Dude, and I'm yeah. glad that you're bringing it up because it's so true. I think I have enough for everyone. And then I, I have enough for them, but then nothing left for myself. And, and then nothing left for my girlfriend. You know, then right. she wants to talk and I'm like, I'm done. I know it's it's a blessing and a curse because in some ways, what a beautiful thing that you feel so comfortable and in tune with who I am and what I'm giving out that you want to tell me about this horrible pain that you're going through. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not your therapist. I don't know you. I just want a club soda with lime, please. Here's $2. Like, can I just get on stage? And this is not the time. And like... I just, it's, it's one of those things where I've realized like, it's not going to stop. So I, this is when I realized when I actually started doing the bit is when I realized I need to protect myself more. I'm not, I'm allowing people to do this to me. And there needs to be times when I say, Hey, I'm sorry, you're going through that, but I can't take it on right now. I am happy to discuss it with you at a later date when I feel more comfortable. But like right now, it's not the time. I can't do it. Talk to me about the slack lining, because yeah. this is a, a, this is one of those things that you post a lot on Instagram. And it's so cool because I don't know what you attach the slack line to in one post, but it looked like the Grand Canyon. I know it wasn't, but uh, talk to me about the genesis and then where you are now. First of all, I'll tell people what it is for who, for those yeah. who don't know what slacklining is. Slacklining, it's, the easiest way to describe it is it's a bouncy tightrope. So it's, it's a one-inch piece of climbing webbing. It's uh, basically that you tie across whatever distance you want, and you can then you walk across it. Some people do tricks on it, like you can bounce on it. Um, it's a very, it's, it's very good for your core. It's very meditative. You don't need, the difference between that and a tightrope is a tightrope was completely taut, which is why you need a balance pole because it's not moving. The slack line goes wherever your body goes. So it becomes, it's a very much a flow activity. You know, it's a, it's my, it's my Leo flowers of uh, doing things. And so it's, it, it puts you in this flow state where once you understand it and once you get good and you've practiced enough, it becomes extremely meditative, extremely balancing and very self-centering. It's very hard for me to feel any sort of negativity while I'm on my slack line because I feel like I'm floating. And I found it at a music festival five and a half years ago, um, was got obsessed with wanting to do it. Um, and then my friend bought one, started doing it with him. And I realized like, I've been looking for something like this, like a solo sport activity hobby that allows me to get in tune with my own body and my own mind while doing something that feels incredible. The progression of slacklining, what I tell people who get into it is you're either two, there's two types of people. One, you're going to step on that thing, try to stand up and go, I never, I have no interest in that whatsoever. That feels terrible. I hated it. Or you're going to be like me and you're going to step on and go, I will do anything to cross that. What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? And that was me. And so the progression is exponential when you're doing it on like a weekly basis or even a couple of times a week. And so I just kept getting obsessed with like, well, now I can go further. I can go faster. I can turn around. I can go backwards. And 
Then you get to a point when I never thought I would hit this point because I didn't even know it was a possibility when you start looking at highlining and highlining is when you do it like you're like across a canyon or between two buildings and things like that. And when I first saw that, I was like, there's no way I would ever try that or do it. But as I got better at slacklining, I started kind of getting obsessed with the thought of that too. And so I have tried to do it a few times, never successfully made it across, but across a canyon, which is a hundred feet in the air. You are strapped in. I'm not, it's not a suicide mission or anything like that, obviously. Like you have a leash on, still doesn't feel great, still hurts when you fall. Um, and it's terrifying, the scariest thing in the world. But um, there's something about it that just is so, if I can get over that hurdle of fear but what else can I do in my life you know like that is I, I I've conquered public speaking that's number one fear right what's number two heights well let me conquer that one now too and walk across a one inch tightrope across 100 feet over a canyon and yeah I've taught a lot of people how to do it I've gotten a lot of people into it and I know there are certain days when I just I need it when I feel tight, when I feel pressured, when I feel the outside world's collapsing in on me, I put on my headphones, I get on that slack line and everything just tends to melt away. What do you listen to in your headphones when you're slack lining? Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of like beautiful electronic stuff, a lot of just very, uh, a lot of ambient music and beats, um, stuff that really is very melodic and very, um, grounding but also inspiring like if i listen to something that's too fast i'll start trying to go too fast and then i get out of my own rhythm and there is it, it's so much of a flow activity where i can stay up there now when i first started i couldn't stand on it for more than three seconds and now i've stayed on it for more than three hours without falling off and you just get into this place where you forget that you're even doing it and there's not even a possibility that you would fall off because you're not two separate things myself and my slack line are one entity working together and it doesn't matter which way i move it will move with me and i'm in perfect harmony with what's happening so i try to listen to music that really makes me feel that like a lot of like stuff with like deep bass but a lot of piano which is kind of like the music I generate, I, I go towards anyway. Like I want energy and I want to feel like that grumble, that, but I want beautiful music and lyrics and things like that on top of it too. Like I, you know, like it feels like I'm watching a sunset basically. Like what, what music would you listen to while you're watching a perfect sunset? That's the kind of stuff I want when I'm, when I'm slacklining. I love that. And, and I would imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that are there times where you're in pain from the eczema where you don't feel that pain at all while you're slacklining? Oh yeah. Everything. That's, that's the beauty of it is like, I don't, whatever's happening in my mind as, is it, it's, it just kind of floats away while I'm up there. And in the beginning it had to, because I was so hyper-focused on like, if I take my, my my eyesight off this tree on the other side, I'm gonna fall off instantly. Well, now I'm good enough where I can look around and I can kind of be deep in my thoughts. But a lot of times I'll be up there for like half an hour, 45 minutes. And just like, it's like when you're driving and you go, whoa, how did I get here? I don't remember even, being in the car, but I'm here now, it gets to be like that. And so sometimes I'm thinking like, oh man, 
What did I, you know, did I do the right thing last night? How did that joke, how can I, how can I work on this joke? How can I make this better? Sometimes I think about like, what's my next project? What can I do? And other times I don't think about shit. And I'm just like, it's just, it kind of, it's, it's, it's very much a meditation. Like when something comes in, I give it a little bit of attention, but then I just kind of send it on its way and try to clear my mind again. It's beautiful what the body can do and what the mind can do when we are hyper-focused and it, it, that kind of movement meditation. I know Mark Zuckerberg talked about that. He, he it's not, I think it's hydroplaning. It's kind of like elevated surfing. Oh, foil like boards. Foil, foil boards. boards. Yeah. Yeah. And so for him, he, like he said, he can't sit and meditate, but he said that, but he does need to get on that foil board. And, and if, and if he doesn't, then like you said, he can't uh, find his day. He yeah. needs to feel that engagement. And I used to think that I couldn't meditate. And like maybe about a year or so into slacklining, I thought, well, this is my meditation. But I've learned a lot. This has taught me so much about focus and about, you know, listening to my body and my mind and understanding where I am and how I'm feeling that now it's maybe it is time to try meditation again. And when I then I tried, I was able to do it instantly where I started with five minutes and I would, I, I would set a timer uh, that I would just put my phone next to me, set an alarm for five minutes. And then I would just sit there with my eyes closed and breathe for five minutes and five led to 10, led to 15, led to 20 until eventually now I, you know, I typically meditate for at least 20 a day, if not, you know, a couple different sessions of like 15 and 10 or something like that. And I realized that it's a completely different meditation when I am just in my room in the dark or whatever than when I'm on my slack line. And I do have to be a little bit more present to what's going on around me because, you know, there's kids running through the park. There's dogs running under my slack line. There's people trying to talk to me. There's people filming me all the time, which is fine. I understand I'm doing, I used to get bothered when people would just film me without asking. But then I got to this point where I was like, I am doing a weird thing in a public space. So I can't be upset with them. Cause like there was one time when somebody took out their phone and started filming me. So I'm on my Slack line. I take out my phone and just start filming them. And they went, what are you doing? And I went, what are you doing? And they were like, I just thought that was cool. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm being an asshole. Okay. You know, like I, I forget that I'm doing this thing that most people consider amazing. <laughs> and so, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's okay. I don't mind when people film and shit like that, but I have to be cognizant of my surroundings because I am in a public space. Um, I've had kids run into it before um, and shit like that, you know, like just like, a, you know, a, a baseball went over their head and they're running back and I'm like, yeah, because I can see it coming. You know, I had a kid level himself one time. And I mean, he like, I mean, he ran, he's probably four years old and just running, does not see it, does not see it at all. And it hits him right here. And I just watch him flatten out and land on his back. And it was one of those moments where he didn't start crying immediately because he had no idea like what had happened. But then he got up and starts crying so loud. And his mom came over and was like, what happened here? What'd you do? I was like, he ran into my slack line. I, I don't know what to tell you, miss. I'm sorry. Is he okay? And she go, and she's kind of like giving me an eye and I'm going like, I, I don't know what to tell you here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very visible. I'm not, I'm not hiding. I'm not putting out a tripwire for your kids. You know, I'm five feet in the air. Like look at me. <laughs> How did you and your wife meet? College. Uh, we, uh, 
we've been together for a long time. Um, so we met when we were in 18, 18, basically. Um, started hooking up when we were 19. So she, I had a best friend in high school. I was friends with her many years. Um, and her and I were, I was very much in love with her, even though she was my, we were like best friends, but it was a one-sided love relationship that was very unhealthy for me. Um, when she went away to college, uh, in Pittsburgh, she made a friend her first year that, uh, they became best friends and that is now my wife. Um, so basically, uh, we, I had a toxic relationship with one person who led me to this other person who then has been the greatest thing ever in, has changed everything about the course of my existence, has made me love myself, has allowed me to open up and be a better person. None of what you see today of who I am would have happened had I not met my wife. Um, because I was just, I, I don't know if I ever would have gotten off the path of self-destructiveness, uh, of self-destruct, of self-destruction. I just don't know if I would have have been motivated or been able to give myself enough empowerment to say, I deserve happiness. I deserve these things. Yes, I can be a comedian, even though no one is giving me the permission, you know, uh, it's, I suddenly, I had purpose and she, she, her, she gave me a lot of that confidence and then comedy kind of just rounded out that whole, like these things are what I needed. Someone to tell me that it's okay to love myself and a place to put my energy while I'm doing it. How did she do that in a way that made you feel safe and not judged? She she never saw me uh, like this. I, I had so much trouble with this for so long because as and when you grow up and you feel you look at yourself as this monster, as this broken person, you don't understand when somebody doesn't see you as that. So at first, like in my mind, I'm like screaming. I'm like, are you an idiot? Do you not see how fucked up I look? Do you not see that I'm not a good person? I have done terrible things to myself and to others. Why are you just looking past all this? And she said it when we got married, she said it in our vows that immediately she just, she saw through everything and she saw my heart and she saw that I had this beautiful heart inside that wanted to love people so much, but felt, didn't have a way to do it. Um, because I didn't understand, even though like my parents, my family gave me so much love as a kid, they did everything to try to make me feel better, but I never got there because I always felt like, oh, this is my family. This is obligatory. You know what I mean? This is not some other person that's giving me this consent, this consent to love myself. And so she just saw through everything and stuck by me. Like I pushed her away so many times. I didn't want, I never considered us in a relationship in college. We were a situationship, if you want to call it, whatever it may be. But I was, didn't, I still didn't feel like I deserved someone that treated me so well. And it took so long for me to really let her in because I was protecting her as well as myself. I didn't think I was worthy and I didn't want her to be hurt in the process by me, by me, because I know eventually I'm going to break this person, you know, and I still will one of these days, I'm going to figure it out. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's, she gave me, she gave me consent to love myself. And then I had to do the other work 
which then comes, well, now you got to figure out how to do that, how to stop the self-hatred and the loathing and the deprecation and everything else. And I think that was, that's where comedy came in is, oh, I have a purpose now of spreading joy and making people laugh. And I can use my own pain to make others feel good, which in turn is making me feel good. So it's pulling me out of my own slump. And, you know, the combination of her, of comedy, of uh, opening myself up to animals, you know, getting dogs, going to music festivals and discovering that I can be anything I fucking want to be. I can express myself any way I want. I can be whatever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do. And people will encourage these things. All this stuff like kind of just broke me out of my own shell. And I started going, okay, instead of hating everything and, and making fun of everything and just shitting on it all, what if I go the opposite way? What if I just love everything as hard as I can? And I celebrate people and friends and family members and peers that inspire me. And I just throw it out there nonstop that, man, am I excited to see you. And then everything just, everything started to change. My heart just grew a billion times. Yeah, I remember when you were doing 365 days of gratitude and every day you would highlight someone new and not just, you know, hey, I'm grateful for this person. Like, you would really take the time to give a detailed description of your relationship and what you were grateful for. Uh, what what did you learn from that experience? Because was it, it was 365 days, right? 366, because I chose a leap year like a fucking idiot. Um, no, so I never, I never, when I started that project, I literally, I had a great New Year's Eve partying with my friends and I woke up the next day and I was like, man, social media sucks. Like all I'm ever doing is promoting myself. Well, let me just write about a friend. And I just called it my awesome person recognition day. And I didn't know where I was going with it, but I just thought, okay, well, let me just keep doing this for a while. And the more I did it, the, the more, the stronger I felt, the more connected I felt to myself as well as all these other people. And I was taking the time to think very selflessly about wanting to make another person feel good. And by doing it publicly on Facebook, other people would chime in. And I don't, I don't remember, did I do one for you? If I didn't, I'm sorry. You didn't. And, I, and I'm a little hurt. I'm still hurt to this day. I was like, I, 366 people. I was like, how many people does Alex Hooper know? But yeah. I was like, but that's how big your circle is, though. This happened with a couple people, though, where they were like, I was really offended. I wasn't one of those. And I was like, you're taking you're looking at it wrong. I'm sorry. Like, I don't I don't have enough people like I don't have enough days. That's what I realized is like when I was, suddenly I was like, how do I know this many fucking amazing people? This is a gift. People would be would go would do anything to be around this much this this much talent and this much kindness and all this much love. So when I started throwing it out there every single day, I just felt like I was growing as a person and opening myself up more. And as others would comment and they would share, and then I know what it felt like to be that person on that day when suddenly you just, you open your Facebook and it says, Alex Hooper tagged you in a post and you go, oh fuck, oh, I got one. I'm about to read a really nice, genuine piece about myself. And that to me just, it changed everything. And I told myself, you can't, 
be unhappy anymore when you are have built a life for yourself that includes this many incredible souls surrounding you that you know not only do you not know well enough to say their name but to write about their accomplishments and the way they make you feel and that in itself was it was such a beautiful year and it was 2016 which was a horrible year in so many ways for so many people like that's you know it was that was it was such that was when things really started getting divisive and i was trying to unite people and it turned out to just be such an influential i i say 2016 is the most influential year of my life because of doing that project and when it was over i it, there was this elation that was just like, thank God, I'm God, I did it. I did it. And I connected all these people and I, and I, I made people feel good about themselves. And how do I continue this train, but not have to do it every fucking day? <laughs> was that the same year? Weren't you on Ellen for the dog calendar? Or uh, that was 2018 that year. So 2018 talk to people about that project. Yeah. So, um, my, I, I put up this funny photo on Instagram one day of me, like putting my dog in a, my, one of my pugs, I have two pugs in a yoga position. And like, she was on my feet while I was on the floor, like lifting her to the sky. And people were like, that's hilarious pug yoga. And I'm like, yeah. And then I posted a few more pictures of me doing it. And people were like, this is so funny. You should make a coffee table book or a calendar or something like that. And I kind of threw the idea away. And then I was at a music festival with, that I was working at doing comedy and I was with Troy Conrad, who's a brilliant photographer, shoots all over Comedy Central, all amazing, like all, all kinds of stuff. And I told him this idea and he goes, oh, we're doing that. We have to do this, Alex. That's so funny. Like, let's go. And so we took the pictures. I put a ton of love into these photos all over Los Angeles and we designed this calendar. And I, it's one of those things where it's such a stupid idea. It's so, like, there's no reason to do it which also meant there was no reason to not do it. And if I believe in this thing and I put love into it, let's see where it can go. And suddenly I got contacted by the Ellen show saying, Hey, we're doing a segment on weird calendars you could buy for this year. Can we use pug yoga? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. What the, what just happened to you? Like how I didn't even know they were doing it. I got the call, but they didn't do it for like six weeks. And all of a sudden I get a call one day in the middle of a work day from my friend's mom going, do you know you're on Ellen right now? Your naked body is plastered behind her on a giant projection screen. And I was like, okay, don't listen. You know what? Do whatever you want in your career, Alex, do whatever the hell. If you have an idea that seems stupid, outlandish, crazy, innocuous, irreverent, do it. But if you do it with intention and with love and you actually put work into it, that's when magical things happen, when you don't just throw it away. Because what I imagined was, yeah, I'll take some photos. I'll go to Vista print, print out a calendar done. But no, I actually brought in my a good team of people to really design this thing and really make it something special. And that's when, that's when it leveled up. And yeah, one of those and again, a crazy year in my life because I went from that immediately into America's Got Talent, which completely, you know, was a completely huge platform and started everything just started kind of blowing up. And I was doing whatever I wanted in my own way and getting positive feedback for it. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you have unleashed the unlocked the floodgates. Whatever weirdness inside me is about to come out full force. And I think people really saw that, um, especially in that year. 
Absolutely. And so you feel like, you know, your experiences with the eczema and, you know, feeling like, as you put it, a monster for your childhood. Do you think that that really has set you up for that America's Got Talent moment? Oh yeah. I mean, that was my, that was, I mean, the America's, the first America's got talent. Cause I've done it. I've done it three times now, like performed on it three times, basically um, was one of those performances when everyone looks at it and they think, Oh, well, you just did that on purpose. You knew it was, it wasn't going to go well. And I didn't know it wasn't going to go well. What I told myself leading up to it was whatever happens, just don't break stride and don't break character and don't show them any, uh, like any weakness whatsoever. You, and it will be fine. Everything will be fine because if it doesn't go well, you can just say I was doing a character. It was all on purpose. When those 3000 people started booing me and screaming at me and you know this is the biggest opportunity i've ever had in my career this is the biggest stage i've ever been on i've never been in front of this many people this is being filmed for one of the biggest tv shows in the world everything in your body is lighting on fire like i was having the worst eczema breakout of my entire life but i also knew that i am a resilient person i have taken hits I have taken hits in my life that did not feel good. How do I rise up above this and just stare them in the face and smile and laugh? And I was able to do it for the seven minutes that I was on stage. As soon as I got off stage, I was a complete wreck and a mess because everything hit me all at once of what had just happened to that level of negativity and feeling blindsided. I cried the whole way home. Um, but yeah, being bullied my whole life, feeling like a monster. And now I'm going out there as this positive person is like with this facade of I'm the happiest person in the world. Here's how I'm going to celebrate it by shitting on you guys. Again, paradoxical nature. I'm a sweet little boy. I try to make people feel good. But if you put my, if I put on my roasting hat, look the fuck out because I'm going to burn you alive. <laughs> You talked about reading. What is there a book that you've reread or that um, you wish you had read sooner? Ooh. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like, I think um, Be Here Now or The Power of Now. I'm not sure. I wish I had read those things sooner because I have read a ton of self-help books. Um, but I also don't think I would have been receptive to them at the time. The thing about self-help books is, and this is something my wife has gotten with, with me on is like, you can't give someone a self-help book because you're saying, Hey, I see you're struggling. Try this. And you can't do that. You can make a suggestion. You can say, Oh, I just read this great book. If you want it, let me know. But I've tried to like, cause I tried to give my sister, my little sister, a self-help book and my, my, that I, that really helped me. And, uh, which was, uh, you are a badass. Um, and my wife was just like, you can't give her that. She's not in a place to receive it. And she needs to find that place. So I think every self-help book I've read, because I've read, I don't even know how many of them, but so many of them, I just try to take one or two things from the 200 pages of text. Um, the Four Agreements, I've read that one multiple times. The Four Agreements is one where super easy read, very simple concepts. And I think that is a very good starter place if you don't, if you're like, okay, let me read things that are gonna make me feel good about myself, but that it's not going to be preachy or breathe, like push it down my throat. Like this is how you live a good life. This is just four simple concepts. 
if you can put these in your head and, and, and kind of get them, implement them throughout your day, it will help. And it has. So I recommend that one a lot. I love that. And I have two questions left. One is, what are you looking forward to? Um, what am I looking for? I'm looking forward to the unknowns that are always ahead of me. The beautiful thing about living a comedy career, an artistic lifestyle is you can set things up and you can put things in motion, but you never truly understand where you're going to arrive at these things. You'll hear it all the time when an artist will be like, yeah, I was doing this and suddenly I got called up to this whole other place that I didn't even know existed. And that happens a lot. And I do love that any single day Every day when I we said what makes me out of the bed in the morning is that today could be the day when that producer calls me up and says, yo, we got a series regular role. It's yours. All you got to do is come down and film and we want you in this thing. And that's because I've been working for 13 plus years in this city to try to make a name for myself and try to show people who I am. So I never know when it's going to all change in an instant. I live for every little win because every artistic venture that we go on, we're going to hit with rejection and failure and it beats us down. But every little win you get takes you that much closer and makes you realize that it is possible. So live for the wins and accept and embrace the losses while you're getting there. I love it. And last question, I ask this of all my guests, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Alex Hooper? It's not about you. Um, I know it feels like it is. That's because this is someone who I've tried to kill. I tried to kill myself multiple times in high school, um, mostly through pill. I'm not going to get into it. But anyway, the point is, is it's not, you know, the really good quote about suicide is you don't, you don't, the pain doesn't go away. It gets transferred to other people that are around you. And I don't ever, I don't, Think about the people in your life that do love you and the pain that you are going through. Just know that it's, it's temporary because there are going to be moments of joy and maybe they're minuscule. Maybe they're almost impossible to find throughout your day. But then you suddenly hit one and you go, oh, it feels good to be alive right now. And how do I find more of that? Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much to listeners for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help calling the new 988 number or any of the international phone numbers. No matter where you are in the world, you can talk, you can chat, you can text. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for having me, man. This was fun.